0: When we began our study of Ruth, we began with an invitation. I invited us both to think and to feel. It's important to think about the concept of redemption, which is the central theme of the book of Ruth, and to allow ourselves to grapple with how redemption feels because it helps us to begin to come to terms with what Jesus Christ has actually done for us. The old 20th century Presbyterian minister J. Vernon McGee, he used to tell the story of a young slave girl who was standing on an auction block in the deep south in the days before the Civil War. There was a crass and a cruel man who was aggressively bidding for her when a calm and dignified man approached As the bidding progressed, the little girl became terrified. Just let your mind go back 175 years ago or so and imagine standing in her place. What would you be thinking? How might you feel? After some time, the dignified man eventually outbid the other man. The girl stepped off the block and approached the man who had purchased her. He said, I want to give you something. He handed her a bill of sale. And in charcoal, he wrote the letters F-R-E-E, across it, and he signed his name. The girl said, I don't understand. The man replied, I paid for your life, not to enslave you, but to rescue you by redeeming you. The man explained that the piece of paper in her hand confirmed that she had been redeemed. You are welcome to work for me, he said, but you are no longer a slave. You are free. So imagine what she was thinking now. Imagine how you would feel. However she felt and whatever she thought, her life had been changed forever because someone had paid the price. Someone else had paid the price to set her free. In today's passage, the full glory of redemption takes center stage. Our passage is Ruth chapter 4. Hear then the word of our incomparable Redeemer. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend. Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the, that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. Lord, please lead us by your spirit now, I ask, in Jesus' name. Ruth is a true story about a real family that reveals the fullness of God's redemptive plan. From sadness to joy From bitterness to hope, from emptiness to fullness, and from death to life, this family has now been graciously and generously and gloriously redeemed. Through this family's redemption, we see God's redemptive plan for his people revealed through the costliness And the fullness of redemption. So first we'll look at the cost of redemption in verses 1 through 11. And then we'll look at the fullness of redemption in verses 11 through 22. We can kind of combine these two ideas to yield our main focus for this morning. The higher the cost and the greater the fullness, the more glorious the redemption the higher the cost of redemption and the greater the greater the fullness or the benefits or the consequences of redemption, the more glorious that redemption actually is. So then let's begin with our first section. Recall the tension that enters the story near the end of chapter 3. So far over chapter 2 and into chapter 3, every intuitive sense that we have tells us that we think Boaz is going to end up redeeming this family and marrying Ruth, the Moabite. All of the planning between Naomi and Ruth and all of the interactions between Ruth and Boaz seem to be indicating one inevitable conclusion. That is, Until Boaz dropped this bomb in chapter 3 and verse 12. It is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Where did this guy come from? (laughs) Now what's going to happen? This is like the ex-boyfriend that shows up out of nowhere in every Hallmark movie ever. Just when you think the new couple is about to get together. I I mean, I I meant to say, that's what I've heard happens in Hallmark (laughs) movies. (laughs) In other words, your heart pauses as an element of uncertainty enters the story. Has that ever happened to you? I, I don't mean while you're watching Hallmark. (laughs) But with respect to something serious in your life, has your heart ever been put on pause? Maybe a delayed consequence to to some kind of decision that you made a long time ago. Maybe it comes back into play out of nowhere. Knocks you sideways. Or maybe there's something that you've longed for It seemed right within your grasp, and the last minute, it's lost, or at least acquiring it is put into doubt. Maybe there's a situation that you thought was in the rearview mirror, but suddenly it, it resurfaces. Depending on how serious the issue is, uneasiness or fear or disappointment or even doubt about God's goodness or His provision for you might just seep into your mind. And that certainly might have been the case for Ruth, given the news that has just been communicated. But in context of our story, where does peace come from in this situation? Or if you're thinking about something currently in your life, what settles your heart in the midst of uncertainty? In our story, Naomi assures Ruth of the character of her Redeemer. Brother or sister, if you are a believer in Jesus, how much more is peace available to you if you dwell on the character of the one who has redeemed you? How much peace is available if you dwell on the character of the one who defines himself as steadfast love? Exodus 34 and verse 6. How much peace is available to you if you dwell in the character of the one who promises, who promises never to leave you nor forsake you? Hebrews 13 and verse 5. The result of that, the fruit of that, is that we can con- confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13 and verse 16. Six, Naomi assures Ruth that Boaz will settle the matter quickly, which is exactly what Art taught us last week. And it's exactly what we see in the opening of chapter four. We see Boaz sitting at the city gate. And it just so happens that the man that Boaz mentioned walks by. As Boaz is sitting at the gate, this is a subtle reference to the subtle sovereignty of our glorious God. Boaz asked the man and some of the city elders to sit down with him at the city gate. It's the place where all business transactions took place so that the matter can be formally, publicly, and efficiently resolved. This is exactly what Naomi told Ruth would happen, and it does. But this is where the story gets very interesting. Boaz asks the unnamed redeemer if he will buy the parcel of land from Naomi. And he says, yes, I will redeem it. Right about when your heart says, man, I did not see that coming. (laughs) Boaz says, Just a second ago, he said, I will redeem it. A little new information comes into the story, and now he says, I can't. No way. What did he see? It's one thing to purchase a piece of real estate that you can make some money off of. It's a whole nother thing to realize, I'm going to have to provide for this woman And descendants, and if she provides a descendant for the man, Elimelech, then that land is going to go to him anyway. So, what's the benefit to me? To put it bluntly, this man was unwilling to bear the cost of redemption. So, what's the first thing that you think of when you hear that? Is it not praise God for Jesus who was willing to bear the full cost of our redemption? Let's take a moment, even in your spirit, to praise him right now for his willingness to redeem us despite the cost He was willing to redeem us, though he had to pay the highest cost imaginable, namely, the value of his own life. You were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians 7.23. In him, that is, in Jesus, we have been ransomed, we have been redeemed the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. We were ransomed. The truth of the matter is that we were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, as valuable as they are. Rather, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1 18 and 19. Lord, we praise you this morning for your willingness to pay the highest possible price to redeem our lives. Apart from you, we would not have any hope. Jesus paid the highest cost imaginable for your redemption, which means he is therefore the most willing redeemer conceivable by definition. So let's pause there for a moment. Connect those two ideas in your head. Does it not follow that if Jesus was willing, Jesus was willing to pay the highest price possible to redeem you, does it not follow that therefore he is the most willing redeemer conceivable? Absolutely. Jesus saved you from your sins. Jesus redeemed you from your bondage to Satan. Jesus ransomed you from the pit of emptiness. Jesus rescued you from the the futility of this present age. Jesus delivered you from the domain of darkness. Jesus bore the penalty for your sin. Jesus gave you his righteousness, and Jesus united himself to you forever because he wanted to. Amazing. He knew exactly what he was paying for. And he redeemed you at the cost of his own life. There is a scene that Matthew records at the very end of Jesus' public ministry. And it is one of the most beautiful and the most Gut wrenching scenes in all the gospels. Jesus is lamenting. He is grieving over the wickedness and the lostness of Israel. And our Lord cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Now, think about these next words that he says in light of some of the imagery that we have seen. In Ruth. Jesus continues. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were unwilling. If you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus Christ through faith. For the salvation of your soul, behold this scene of the willingness of Jesus to save sinners. And realize that if you do not belong to Jesus, whatever your age is, as you sit here right now, if you do not belong to Jesus, it is because of your unwillingness to repent not because of his unwillingness to redeem you. In verses 7 through 11, Boaz makes clear that he's not only willing to serve as redeemer, he's willing to formally and to publicly confirm it. Verses 7 and 8. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Now, we don't fully know all of the nuances to this particular practice, with the sandal exchanging, but, but note that the custom concerned redeeming and exchanging. The point is that it confirmed a transaction between two parties. In our context, it, it may convey something like what we mean when we say, unless you've walked or, or stood in another person's shoes, you can't understand what they've been through, right? Right? This is imagery that confirms that I am willing to walk or to stand in your shoes. In other words, I'm willing to take your place. In context, to stand in your shoes as redeemer. I'm willing to exchange places to complete the transaction. I am assuming the full cost and the full responsibility on myself, What belonged to you now belongs to me. Or what I have offered now belongs to you. Praise God that Jesus was willing to exchange sandals with us. It was for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God. But what I love, what I love about what Boaz does here as a redeemer is that he says yes to everything. You are witnesses this day, Naomi's land, yes All that belongs to Elimelech, yes. Kilion, yes. Malon, yes. Ruth the Moabite, yes. To redeem the dead and his inheritance, yes. It's official. You are witnesses. It all belongs to me. This is a redeemer who's willing to redeem despite the cost He knows everything involved on the front end and he goes through with it. How much more? How much more willing was Jesus to say yes to all that was involved when he redeemed you? He's omniscient. He knows everything. And he said, Yes, I will redeem him. Yes, I will redeem her. All of it. Yes, I will redeem his sexual sin. Yes, I will redeem her sinful speech. Yes, I know about her secret sins. Redeemed. Yes, I know about his failings as a worker, as a father, as a husband. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. Yes, I know about every detail of what happened to her. Every detail is fully redeemed. Yes, I know about his habits. Redeemed, yes, I know that she questions my love for her, forgiven and redeemed. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. This was your Savior's response when asked if he was willing to redeem you. I know it all. I paid for it once for All once for all sin and once for all time, he now belongs to me, she now belongs to me, Brian, redeemed fully and forever, Mark, redeemed fully and forever. Deborah, redeemed fully and forever. Can you imagine your Savior declaring those words over you? Redeemed fully and forever, paid for with my precious, invaluable blood. Our Savior said, when I redeem someone, I know it all and I want it all. And I redeem that person fully and forever. We are all witnesses that despite the cost of redemption, Jesus was willing to redeem us by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the Father was willing to confirm our redemption by raising Jesus from the dead. Three days later. Praise God for the sandal exchanging glory of the gospel. So Boaz agrees to redeem Ruth and their family in full. And immediately, verse 11. The people at the city gate offer a blessing over them. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So just in these few verses, the blessing moves from past to present to future. From Ruth to Boaz to the offspring. May this woman be like the mothers of Israel, like Jacob's wives, Rachel and Leah. Think about that for a moment. This highlights the fullness of the redemption for Ruth, she is a childless Moabite widow. This would be like an Isis prostitute coming into our church and giving her life to Jesus. And us praying over her every blessing imaginable. Would we do that? Absolutely we would do that. <laughs> Why? Because we're recipients of grace, just like she is. But it's striking to see it in this particular context. Having been grafted into the people of Israel, may she now bless the nation like the wives of the patriarchs of our faith. This is incredible. The blessing over Boaz highlights his redemption of Elimelech's family and and Elimelech's actions. Elimelech was a man of Bethlehem who left the city named the House of Bread to go in search of bread in a foreign land. So the prayer and the blessing is that Boaz would act worthily in Bethlehem. The prayer over the offspring focuses on the family line that will follow. May the line that began with the moral complexity of Tamar in Genesis 38, which produced the likes of Boaz himself, may it produce a great family line going forward, is the prayer to bless the family of God. The blessings continue in verses 13 through 17. The Lord is mentioned directly here in the book for the second time as the one who gave Ruth... Conception, the only other time he's mentioned is when he gave his people food in chapter 1 and verse 6. By nature, God is a giver, particularly of life. So here here we're specifically, in this short little section, we're specifically reminded of what this family has been saved from and what they are saved for. The family and Naomi specifically had left Bethlehem and lost everything. Now a kinsman redeemer has been born to Naomi through her kinsman redeemer. Did you catch that in the passage? The blessing over the kinsman redeemer is not about Boaz. It's about the offspring. He is the one. He is the one who is going to be the restorer of life for Naomi. And here, the only time it's used in the entire book, the word love shows up. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. I told you it was a love story. It's just between a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law. And her worth in her eyes is more than seven sons. Which is somewhat ironic because the birth of one son now is the climax of the story. Because of who will come through his line. This child will be renowned in Israel as a restorer of life. And so as this little one lays on the lap of Naomi, we see that redemption has come full circle for her. Sadness has turned to joy. Emptiness has become overflowing fullness. Death has turned to brand new life. And for Mara, that is Naomi, bitterness has turned to restored hope for the future. But notice a thread of something extraordinary here. From Tamar's sexual deception that's described in Genesis 38 when she acted like a prostitute to seduce Judah and he obliged to Boaz's own mother who was Rahab who actually was a prostitute to the unusual circumstances which, which bring a childless Moabite widow into the bloodline of the future Redeemer, what does that tell us? What implication can we draw from this? Is it not that we can know that God can bring about his redemptive purposes in you and through you no matter what you have done, no matter where you are from, and no matter what is hidden in your past. To be uncomfortably on point, God can specifically redeem your past sexual sin. And actually, use it for his redemptive purposes. Nothing escapes his redemptive touch. Absolutely nothing falls outside the category of what he is willing to redeem. He is in the business of bringing beauty from ashes. That's why we can say all things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. In the final verses, which reveal the line of David, we see that God's redemptive work in the lives of his people, it not only foreshadows, but serves actually, literally, to bring forth the Redeemer. For through Obed's grandson David, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Have you ever felt the burden of the law? In your own life? Have you ever felt the burden of trying to even meet your own standard for righteousness, let alone God's standard for righteousness? What what does redemption feel like? I mean, consider as glorious as this world is, all of the brokenness and all of the rebellion and all of the grossness. And all of the perversion, all of the frustration, all of the futility, all of the disappointment, all of the emptiness. And God's son came to redeem those under the curse of the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You want to talk about emptiness to fullness, we can trade the whole mess of our lives for God. The gospel means we get God. We get adopted as sons. Therefore, we get the inheritance of Jesus forever. That's a good deal for us. (laughs) The promise of the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of the new covenant means that all that is ours in Christ is really ours in Christ and is really ours in Christ now Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more fully or more abundantly John 10:10 10, 10. in Jesus the whole fullness of God dwells bodily and we have been filled in Him. Just let that wash over you for a moment. In Jesus, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily, and we have been filled in Him. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Or, the church is the fullness of Jesus who fills all things in every way. Ephesians 1 Twenty-three. In this way, we not only receive redemption, but we become instruments of redemption in the hands of our glorious Redeemer. This is why Paul prays in Ephesians 3, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God, that we would attain to the stature of the fullness of Christ, chapter 4, and that we would be filled with the Spirit of God, Ephesians 5. Jesus, the word, came and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son, full, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. So what does redemption Feel like? What does it feel like to be filled with the fullness of Christ? One word Freedom. Freedom in Christ. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Spirit-led freedom is the reality of our redemption even now. The fullness of God's plan for us is actually more than we could ever ask or think. Which makes the fullness of the redemption paid for by Jesus... The greatest possible redemption, conceivable, utterly amazing. Praise be to the three in one forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, as we... Consider the reality that you have redeemed us from our sin through the blood of Jesus. I pray that our souls would rejoice. I pray that we would be full. Our hearts would be full with the joy of the knowledge that Jesus has set us free. So would you lead us by your spirit so that we might express that to you in fullness of joy. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.